May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. For the past couple of weeks, our gospel lessons in the communion service have come from that portion of St. John's Gospel that is known as the Upper Room Discourse. And it's called that because it's in an upper room of a house in Jerusalem where Jesus spends the last night of his earthly life with his disciples and where he speaks a lot to his disciples. The other gospel writers don't record everything, but John spends numerous chapters recording all of Jesus' words. And it starts back in chapter 13, and it goes all the way through to including his prayer in chapter 17. And the way that it's written, it seems like it's one long speech. One long discourse ending with a long prayer. It's like Jesus preached a sermon while his disciples listened. Hence, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. In reality, however, the discourse takes place within the Upper Room, but also as Jesus walks with his disciples and as he enters into the Garden of Gethsemane. For example, in John 14, which takes place in the Upper Room, Jesus speaks the famous passage about there being many rooms in his Father's house. And if he goes away to prepare a place for them, he will come again, that where he is, there they might be also. Now that's an interesting imagery of rooms that Jesus uses, since they sit gathered together in that upper room. I mean, there's another imagery there that I'm not going to go into, but it is interesting that Jesus speaks about these rooms as they're huddled together in that upper room. But then Jesus says at the end of that chapter, let us rise, let us leave this place. So they leave the upper room. And then John starts chapter 15 with a different imagery from Jesus. There we find Jesus saying another famous passage, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now can you see the change? They shift from the upper room and the rooms in God's house to the edge of the garden of Gethsemane. And now Jesus uses imagery of vines and branches and fruit. And then after finishing that time with the disciples in the garden, Jesus goes further in to pray by himself, taking only Peter, James, and John with him. And this is when those three fall asleep. And it's also at this point that Jesus prays what we call his high priestly prayer. Now, we tend to remember what the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what they point out about the prayer of Jesus. Jesus prays. He sweats blood and says, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the humanness of Jesus in this situation. Like any human who would voluntarily or involuntarily, who would want to go through such suffering? If there were some other way, then we'd all ask for it. So that's what the synoptic writers include. But John, who takes a different perspective on the works and the miracles and the words and the life of Jesus, presents the part of Jesus' prayer not as the human desire to avoid such suffering, but rather the divine work that he would accomplish through such sacrifice. 
He would restore the unity of relationship between God and man and creation. And in Jesus, all things will be made new. And so Jesus intercedes not only for himself to the Father, but also on behalf of his disciples. And then for all those who would come to the faith later. Jesus has circles of prayer himself, those nearest to him, and then those extending outward. And in summary of that prayer, we see Jesus pray that they may be one. As you, Father, and I are one, so they may be one. In other words, Jesus' prayer is about the atonement sacrifice, the restoration, the new creation that was happening through him. Hence, you can see why it's termed the high priestly prayer. Now, I've given you... A bit more background and a few tidbits that I probably didn't really need to give you today. But it's always fun to throw some of those things out there because someone might go, you know what, I never even thought about that. But one thing should be noticed in these chapters of John. Amidst the events of this last evening, from the upper room celebration of the Last Supper, through to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus explaining how he was going away, through to Jesus' prayer about his impending sacrifice, Jesus reiterates or shows something four times to the disciples. And if there's one thing that I've learned, that is is that if something is repeated or shown multiple times, we ought to take notice of it. Especially when we think about the fact that Jesus says this or does this four times in the matter of a couple of hours of that evening. So let me read you something from each of these chapters in John. John 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says this, And whatsoever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then in the next chapter... John chapter 15, in verse 16, Jesus says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then in John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24, which we read today in the gospel lesson, Jesus says this, And in that day you will ask me nothing, Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Until now, you have asked me nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And finally, as I mentioned earlier in John chapter 17, we don't hear Jesus teaching the disciples, but we witness Jesus himself heeding his own words and going to the Father in prayer. Actually, in the same story, we even witness Jesus tell his sleeping disciples three times over to pray. Pray, lest you enter into temptation. So in four chapters, we discover Jesus saying or actually doing the command to ask. To ask in his name. The words are probably familiar to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Those words or something similar, or more formal like, through Jesus Christ our Lord, are often how we end our prayers. We're taught from our youth up that we pray in Jesus' name. And unfortunately, that has often become a tagline 
It's an attachment to the end of a prayer. A good way to wrap it up. And most of us know that when we hear those words, the word amen is quick to follow. But praying in Jesus' name is much more than a tagline. Or a cue for others as to when they should say something. And it's certainly much more than some sort of magical formula designed to manipulate God. Praying in Jesus' name has great weight. It's literally claiming for yourself the power that belongs to Jesus. But not just the power, but the peace and the joy that belong to Jesus. And that is the final command of Jesus to his disciples four times over as he prepared for them, or as he prepared them for his leaving. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. I chose our sermon hymn on purpose today. Our other hymns really have to do with the creation and the harvest aspects of Rogation Sunday. But I chose our sermon hymn today because it has to do specifically with prayer. With prayer and asking God. On Monday I was driving across town to Father Rusty's church in Crosby, Church of the Resurrection, to meet with all the Houston area pastors and with Bishop Sutton. And as I sat in the slow traffic of I-10 making my way there, I decided to fire up some good old-fashioned hymns like the ones that I've been quoting in recent sermons. And what album of classic hymns, at least from the last 200 years, would be complete without that hymn? What a friend we have in Jesus. And as I listened and sang along to it in the car... There was one part of a verse that spoke loud to me, and instantly I knew that I'd be tying it into today's sermon for Rogation Day, because Rogation means to ask. The second half of verse 1 has us sing these words. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Why do we not pray? Why do we not lay our needs at the feet of God? Why do we not hear the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples? Ask so that your joy may be full. And I'm not talking about barking orders at God, those types of prayers like children do with their parents. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, help me out here. I'm talking about the soulful talk with God. From creature to creator, from son or daughter to their father. Why do we not share ourselves fully with God, knowing what joy is laid up for us who pray in his name? And I'm not always sure of that answer. I'm not always sure why I don't pray as I should. And I don't always know why so many others seem seem to find ways not to pray. I mean, perhaps it's because we don't fully trust that God will do what we ask. Or perhaps it's because we don't know if God will answer our prayer in the way that we want him to answer our prayer. Perhaps it's because we really don't think we need to say anything because after all, God's omniscient. He should know everything anyway. Or perhaps it's because we have an overconfidence in ourselves as to our own abilities to solve our own problems and to meet our own needs. 
Or perhaps it's on the opposite end of the spectrum because we feel weak. If we have to let control go to God and admit that we just can't do some things. I don't know all the reasons, but I know I'm guilty of some of those. And I know that some of those statements might just describe some of you. Friends, where do these things often get us? Day after day that one goes without prayer is like going day after day without food or drink. As such a physical fast depletes the strength of our bodies, so days without prayer deplete the strength of our soul. And when the soul is weak, all else is weak. And when we're weak, we're open targets for Satan. Oftentimes I have found that when I'm struggling with things, it's precisely because I have gone about my daily business without including God. For it's possible to have a church-filled life where everything you do revolves around the church, but not have a God-filled life. What peace we often forfeit. What needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. But what does Jesus say in today's verse from John chapter 16? Ask that your joy might be full. Remember, this is said to the disciples, all of whom, save St. John, all of whom would die the death of a martyr. But Jesus says, ask that your joy may be full. Even amidst their situation, even with Jesus, amidst his own situation, that, that night facing the crucifixion, prayer is the answer. Prayer is an essential part to our joy tanks, if you will, being full. If you're struggling, if your peace feels absent from you, if you're feeling down and useless, if you feel like God isn't working in your life, then ask yourself, how's your prayer life? And how are those around you praying for you? Are you tapping into your own prayers? Are you tapping into the prayers of others? Are you sharing your needs with others? Are you sharing your needs with God? But most importantly, are you sharing your soul with God? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.